Oh, hello again. Oh, and thanks so much for downloading us, Which Car Weekly. And thanks for allocating a, a small proportion of your bandwidth just to listen in for another 30 minutes to hear me and some of my closest colleagues and I'd like to call friends talking about all of the most important and thought-provoking things that have happened in the last week. Uh, that is an unspecified week. But we like to bring uh, the best minds uh, and some of the representatives of all the brands at Barrow Media together to discuss some things that we perhaps didn't get time to during the week and in the conventional channels. Those conventional channels would be our magazines, our websites, and even our TV show. But now you've got a podcast to listen to. And today I'm joined by our regular Scott Newman, Associate Editor of Motor Magazine. Bonjour. Uh, and as, as is typical, we like to bring in another expert every week. Um, the term expert is obviously used very loosely as we welcome Tim Robson, uh, which car senior journalist, to join us again this week. So. Well, I never. But thank you for having me, mate. Really appreciate <laughs> I'll it. I'll explain exactly. It's lovely to have you. I'll explain exactly why we have Tim with us today um, as we get into all the topics, which this week includes... F1 versus FE, cars you learn to love, and which car for one of life's most stressful tasks. More about that later. But to get us started, let's get into our first hot topic. F1 season, the Formula One calendar is off. We're off to a, uh, a, a, a galloping start. <laughs> yes, do you see that? We've introduced some sound effects to, uh, to our podcast this week. Yeah, and they aren't very good. So that's the last time you're going to hear anything from the sound effects. <laughs> that's what you think. Um, but what we do have more of is expert opinion on the Formula One season, which has kicked off now. Uh, and there was, as you know, I actually was quite pleased to see, controversy from the outset. Yes. Yes, we can go from there. Uh, <laughs> well, the season kicked off, as you said. Uh, who watched the race? Did you watch the race, Dan? I watched the bits that were worth watching. <laughs> well, how much was that? I was unpacking boxes in my house. Oh, okay, have... fair enough. Robbo, did you watch? I really liked the first round of the championship. As it, as it, you know, it, it's a, it's a new beginning. It's a fresh it's a start to the season. Place, it? It's in Melbourne. It's in Australia. There's flags flying. It was a beautiful sunny day in Melbourne. It was terrible in Sydney where I live. But I just Go loved the, the theatre and the atmosphere of watching Melbourne. The racing, I think you will agree that Melbourne itself, the, the Albert Park track, doesn't lend itself to fantastic spectacle. No, it doesn't. I mean, it's probably good in one way that it's the opening round of the season because everybody's excited for lots of different reasons. Uh, we're excited to see new cars, new drivers, new debuts. Uh, but then, because invariably, the Albert Park track layout does not lend itself particularly well to uh, riveting racing, particularly as the cars get faster. You only have to watch one of the qualifying laps to realise why, because these cars are so fast and so quick now that there's not really any braking zones. I mean, they're braking from 330 kilometres an hour for Turn 1 at, like, the 50-metre board now. So yeah. they're just doesn't really leave a lot of opportunity to send one down the inside but um it wasn't a bad race as albert park grand prix go uh there wasn't a lot of action at the front one of the big surprises though as dan alluded to there were there were a few surprises one of them was that valtteri bottas the mercedes-benz second driver for want of a better term absolutely brained everybody including his highly fancied teammate lewis hamilton uh uh, Valtteri had almost half a second on Lewis in qualifying, and I thought, oh, here we go. This mm. is a bit of a turn-up for the books. But then Lewis turned the jets on and managed to steal pole by about a tenth or so, and I thought, oh, here we go again. It's going to be, no matter how hard Bottas tries, Lewis is just going to have that little bit extra. But um, no, it was changed a little bit by Lewis Hamilton, apparently hurt his floor on his car. Um, 
Oh, he didn't have a mistake. It was F F L O O R, not yes, a yes, yes, oh, yes, yes. character. It wasn't a floor in his driving. Oh, copy it was that, a, right. the car's floor. Oh, I see. And it wasn't, yes. a, yeah, yeah, wasn't a mistake. It was the floor. base of the car. Uh, I thought you meant his pelvic floor. No, 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 no. That would be, you know, you could, it would be well. difficult to drive with that. Mm, yeah, mm. It would be very difficult. Uh, so that will cost him some performance, and eventually Bottas just creamed them. He won by like. 25 seconds. Mm, so, mm. It was a dominant performance, wasn't it? Was it was a very dominant performance. But there were some cool takeaways from the weekend apart from that. Uh, there was some very strong rookie, strong young talent, which is quite exciting. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of promoting sort of young drivers into F1 too early, but it looks like the current crop that have arrived this this year are very much ready. Lando Norris did a fantastic job for McLaren. George Russell did a great job for Williams, as good as he can in a car that's like... It was five seconds slower, I think, than the Mercedes in, in practice, which is an eternity. And uh, Charles Leclerc did very well. He's not quite a rookie, but it's his first season with Ferrari. He did a very, very good job hassling Vettel, yes. And didn't you see, didn't you think that those young guys, the George Russells, they had such polish? Yes. First ever Grand Prix. They're about 12. Yeah, they're, they're, they're kids. They're, I think one's 19, I think one's 18. They're just babies. I've got a 16 or 17-year-old son. I cannot imagine him yeah. on the world stage driving 330-kilometer-hour cars. And they were perfect. They were wonderful with the media. They gave their time. They did a brilliant job. One of them, I think, George Russell, was quite upset that he didn't do better. It's like, you finished your first Grand Prix yeah, in I front know. of your family and friends. Like, this is a moment to celebrate. And he's like, Norris, well, he Lando that. Norris, I yeah. think. He said, oh, I think the car was better. I could have got ninth. I'm like, you got 12th. Be happy with that. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. I mean, that's the thing, like, there's so little testing now. So the early young drivers do come in underprepared in one respect, but they do so much racing and so much testing from an early age on the way up that like when Max Verstappen came in, they were like, oh, he's 17. But he had done thousands upon thousands upon thousands of hours virtually and in the real world. So he's got, you know, got an answer for every scenario almost mm. in terms of the racing. So, yeah, it was a pretty exciting Grand Prix for as Australian Grand Prix go. Okay, now this is a subject we could talk about, you know, ad nauseum, we could fill a whole uh, 30 minutes with it, no problem at all, but uh, it has, it's fair to say it has its flaws, whether they be its pelvic flaws or its <laughs> um, Perhaps we could c- consider an alternative. We could talk about the ways to make F1 better, or perhaps mm-hmm. we could just do the easy thing and say, well, what's, what's, what's better? We could just go and look entirely elsewhere. We've already we talked about in a previous podcast about the uh, endurance racing. Mm-hmm. Um, what about a more environmentally friendly? version of Formula One? What about something that embraces future technologies? Something that's an emerging technology and propulsion system? What about, of course, I'm talking about Formula E? Why not that instead? Oh, my lord. Robbo loves Formula E. Okay, Robbo. Now, from that sound of absolute displeasure (laughs) in the the corner over there, why? this is why we have Tim, (laughs) Robbo with us. We want to get your take on Formula E and why it is not a viable alternative to Formula One. Where do I start? Look, <laughs> let me let me lay it down straight out the bat. I am a racing fan, have been for many many years. You've steered, I, you've you've been involved. I've done all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I have a I have a son who's coming up through the ranks. He's he, he likes to watch sport. He likes to you know, participate in it. I kind of look at him as a bit of a barometer of where the sport may be going. I'm not saying that Formula E isn't the answer. I worry that Formula E isn't the right formula to bring new fans to the sport. Now, within the Bauer Media Group, there are people that are absolute proponents of it, and we can argue all day and not do any work, which is not that unusual. Sorry, Glenn. (laughs) Um, But I just feel that 
sport you know, is an emotional involvement, correct? Like when you see a great mark being taken or a great goal being netted in, in the top corner and there's yeah. a, a roar from the crowd and there's an emotional connection, there's a sound, there's a feel, there's a, a vibe that you get. I just wonder, is Formula E providing that feel? Well, it's hard because such a key component of motor racing is sound. I mean, like I think you mentioned earlier that, uh, earlier today that if you've ever been to a Formula One race back in the day, like I went to my first one in 2007, so just at the end of the V10 era, and like it just blows your mind. I mean, literally I blows your mind, blows your mind to smithereens, mm. the, the pure volume of these things. Mm. And Formula E, obviously you're not going to get that. Uh, that's On the flip side, that's maybe part of the appeal. They can go to places that are new, that are exciting, that you, you, know, you could run a race in the middle of London, which you couldn't do in super noisy F1 cars. But, yeah, it's a real challenge, I think, to really grab the diehard purists with this, such a different technology. And, and to be fair, that's not necessarily who they're chasing. They're like, we don't, we don't want F1 fans. We want new, or like, not that we don't want them, but we, we're chasing new people. Yeah, and allow me to do what I like doing most when we all get together and talk about these things and play devil's advocate. Because I'm afraid I have to weigh in with Tim on this one and say, yeah, I'm, I'm from the old school way of thinking. I like engines that burn fuel. I like the noise they make, and I find it very difficult to get emotionally attached to Formula E, even though I really do respect it as a sport. Allow me to put on my different hat now and say, I see the sort of person that, that can get grabbed by Formula E. It's the people who are... are enthusiastic about all electronics and all future technologies people mm. who who like drone racing people who sit in front of you know computer games at home mm-hmm. there's a there's a far easier line to draw between formula yeah. e and all that stuff that i just listed than there is to formula one and i think that's quite cleverly who the organizers and the proponents and the the you know the champions behind formula e are targeting they're not trying to win people over from f1 they're trying to grab a whole new audience and that's who i see it going for absolutely and the people who are behind Formula E have done a fantastic job in... You have to look where the manufacturers are. All the manufacturers now are in Formula E. And basically, if you want to, if you want a, a motorsport series to continue, you need generally manufacturer support. So that's... And the other good thing about Formula E is uh, they set themselves up as a bit of a sitting duck by introducing their first generation car, which was really slow. You needed to swap cars mid-race. It was like a... Sitting duck a little bit, like shooting fish in a barrel if you wanted to be mean to the sport. Whereas the current car they introduced this year is a lot quicker. It looks super space age, super sci-fi, has some really serious performance. But for me, the problem is, and I think Tim will hopefully agree here, is the problem is the tracks now. They've... To hide the really slow performance of the first generation cars, they put them on these really dinky circuits, uh, Mm. city circuits which I think the cars now are almost quick enough to strut their stuff on a proper racetrack because there's like these tiny little hairpins and it's just, it looks like a bit of a novelty uh, that it doesn't really need now. 100%. The, the most recent race was Hong Kong. It, you, you obviously haven't got a lot of room to move in Hong Kong, as it were, so you've now added... Doing anything. Exactly let, right. Let alone in a car. Exactly right. So having the circuit in the midst of Hong Kong, it was incredibly narrow. The guys couldn't pass this. And I'm not going to you know, deny this. I'm certainly very talented races, uh, former Formula One drivers, mm-hmm. uh, touring car drivers, like some really cream of the cop 
crop guys that can't show their, their wares. They, mm. they have to run into each other. They have to ping pong off each other to try and make a move. For me, again, that denigrates from the spectacle. So maybe you're right. Maybe they have to open up the field, put them on something where these cars can get up and gallop. I don't think they're as fast as they should be. I kind of see an electric car, you think speed racer. You think going upside down on loop-de-loops and mm. <laughs> absolute gravity-defying stuff. We've all driven uh, electric cars now. We all understand that they're instant talk. Like that rush off the line in an electric car is astounding. Mm. Can these things be let off the leash a little more? Can you even maybe throw out the format of the regular race? Is it like a five-lap ultra sprint with, you know, the, the batteries are pouring smoke off them. There's so much energy coming out of them. Is there a different way to display just how... Amazing, apparently, this technology is. I so, think I love what you're saying there. I do, you, I, brilliant. You've just you've inspired me. With, how about it. this? How about this? You say allow the batteries to work so hard that smoke starts coming off. <laughs> Why don't we plumb that energy into some kind of device that makes a sound as well? Mm. So then we've got like smoke and mm. things being burnt and then noise <laughs> coming from it as well. Oh, no, wait, hang on, that's Formula One. <laughs> I actually heard, Dan, and I'm, I'm not sure this is true, and I apologise if, if, if it is not true, that the sound from the cars is attenuated out to the audience via, uh, via trackside mics that feed into the speakers around the ground. For what, F1? For FE. For Formula oh, E, for Formula to make e. that sort of that's okay, that's okay. that that's kind of totally, noise. That's totally fine. As long, uh, for years and years, I've bemoaned the augmented sound that you get in some uh, petrol-driven cars uh, because I think it's dishonest. But actually, you know, if you didn't know what the trick that was being pulled to fool you, then and it makes your experience and your, your whole driving uh, enjoyment greater and enhanced, then why not? I think that's clever. Let me open up the question. Can you see a Formula E race anywhere in Australia? Uh, where there's a will, there's a way, and apparently there is a will from various uh, state governments. I've, Adelaide has been mooted around the parkland, but I think I didn't think I think they weren't going to use the traditional parkland track uh, for Clipsal. Um, I think the key is though, just as a final point, to say that I think to your point, Robbo. Formula E will improve. I mean, it's still very much a sport in its infancy. It's only been going five years or so. I think when the Gen 3 cars come, they will be super, super quick. They'll be, you know, they will capture the imagination through their pure speed, not just because of their novelty value. Formula E, a sport that has improved enormously already and will continue to do so. And I think along the way, will continue to capture fresh audience and new minds. A little bit later, we're going to talk about the best car to move house in with. Move house in? That doesn't sound right. You'd move house with. But before that, we want to move on to a slightly different subject. Um, I've called this, Scotty, forgive me if this is, you know, I suppose paraphrasing too much, but I'm calling this automotive Stockholm Syndrome. No, I like that. Okay, great. We'll go with it then. The cars that have grown on us. The car, now, has this been inspired by a particular sort of car that you've yeah, been in recently? Yeah, it has. Uh, during last week, I was driving a Lexus IS350 F Sport. And when I picked it up, I thought, yeah, there's a few, you know, there's a few bits that sort of doesn't really grab me. So that initial impression was a bit ho hum, and you get that in a comparison test. Like if you're against like the latest BMW, the latest Mercedes, you'd go, oh, this Lexus perhaps isn't quite up to task in a few different areas. And then over the next couple of days, I'm like, hmm, throaty V6 instead of a two-liter turbo. I quite enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the ride comfort was wasn't trying to be too sporty. I'm like, I enjoy this. Um, still hate that stupid bloody multimedia controller. Please, Lexus, kill it now before it breeds. It is absolutely awful. Uh, but, yeah, my point is that 
it got me thinking about because I had a Lexus RCF long termer, which mm. again, compared to a C sixty three or an M four, you'd go, it's not up to task. But as I spent more time with that car, I'm like, I really like this engine, this V eight engine. It's more than quick enough for what I need it. It was really actually good on track. Uh, I quite I grew to like the way it looks, which is I don't know that really is Stockholm syndrome, <laughs> I think. So I thought I'd open up the floor and go, have there been cars that you've driven over a week or two weeks or a long termer perhaps and gone, you know what? This car's got a lot of value in it that I didn't see at first at first try. Cars that you've driven over a week that stopped you drove, driving over a cliff. That's that's the <laughs> yes. Thing. There you go. Okay, okay, good. Robo, do you have something you'd like to weigh in on this week? I actually do. A um, few weeks, or actually a little while ago, uh, the the round of the Australia, uh, the round of the World Rally Championship was on up in Coffs Harbour. That's about a six hundred kilometre drive from where we live. So I said to the 17-year-old uh, lad, let's go up and have a bit of a look. I've arranged a Ford Ranger Raptor. It's going to be a brilliant boys weekend. We're just going to have a look. Anyway, anyway, long story short, Raptor fell over. The only thing I could get my hands on for the weekend, other than our 2004 uh, Ford Territory, which I thought car? was not a good... It is a good car, but yeah, some issues, was a Citroen C3. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk contrast, that is right? quite a difference. Now, just to put you in the picture, I'm about 6'3", about 110 kilos. I'm my, lad, my lad's about 6'2", about 90 kilos. So we're, we're, we're sizable, gentlemen. Uh, we, we've got in some, personalities, we've got some, well, some, Thank you very much. So I thought this is going to be the hell trip. We're going to get into this tiny French weird thing and have to drive the longest distance ever. We jumped in that thing, instantly thought, Wow, we wow, this we kind of fit okay. This is this is so far so good. A couple of hundred kilometers in, we don't really need to stop. This is surprisingly comfortable. <laughs> it actually goes quite fine. Mm-hmm. By the time we got to Coffs Harbour, completely and utterly enraptured with this little <laughs> weird yeah, underselling French car. It oh, was an absolute gorgeous thing, and I would buy one in a heartbeat. Really? Yes. I felt completely in love with it. So where does this come from, then? This this learning to love, does it come from initial low expectations? I believe so, I Matt. So. Absolutely. Because yeah. exactly as you were saying, Scotty, you know, you got yeah, an Alexis. Possibly, and, yeah. and you can look at a car like that on face value, and you go, oh, well, the V6, it's a bit dated. It doesn't make much power mm. in the face of turbocharged engines these days. It's a very heavy car. As soon as you take all of these facts and figures on board, as journalists inherently we do, do you have to do your your, your back work your home before you get in? Um, you you can set yourself up for disappointment. And I think the when I think one of the also key issues is isolation versus comparison. Uh, if you do as we do quite often, if you drive a car in a comparative sense, like if you then put up that C three against a Mazda two or something, you'd go, oh okay, I see this car's flaws come into stark relief. Whereas if you just have do have the one car. Which obviously most people do. They have they buy one car. Um, suddenly, its virtues. For instance, I'll give you an example. The Lexus. You get into it immediately, having driven something turbocharged, and you go, "Oh, this thing's got no grunt. I've got a rev it. It's dull. Feels doughy." But then, after a while, you get used to its little foibles, what it likes, what it doesn't like, and suddenly you enjoy the fact that it makes quite a good noise, and that you don't mind using a few more revs, and then it ceases to become a problem. So, yeah, I think it's just um, without that sort of stark comparison to its nearest rival, you accept it maybe more for what it is rather than what it's not. Mm, This actually, this when I get asked by people what sort of car they should buy, which is quite frequently, and normally they just ignore everything I say and buy whatever they were going to go for, (laughs) the best piece of advice I can give them is to drive everything in the the, the uh, selection pool that you're thinking of because mm-hmm. the typical mistake people make mistake or perhaps not 
is they've had the Toyota Corolla for maybe five years, maybe longer, and they go, oh, well, Corolla's been pretty good. I'll just, I'll go and, I'll go and try the newest one. In the time they've had their old Corolla, <laughs> the entire car world has come on by five, ten years. Yes. And they drive the car and they think this is the best thing in the entire mm. universe. But what they don't realise is everything has come on that much. Mm. What we have as journalists is exactly the opposite problem. We are so spoilt by everything that as soon as we get in a car that is even mildly not quite up to par as everything else, we instantly shoot it down. When in actual fact, what we need to do is get into the consumer's perspective and say, well, is this as bad as we think? Is this actually doing a lot of things right, but we're kind of blinded by choice and selection and opinion? I call this the Mitsubishi Lancer effect. <laughs> oh, I like that. The Mitsubishi Lancer has been around for ages. It's one of the oldest cars on sale, probably. Mm-hmm. And Mitsubishi Australia stockpiled them because they're selling so well and they've stopped making them because of the, for that very reason. It's dependable, reliable. It's got enough space. Maybe not. It's, probably, it's not amazing to drive. But to someone who's come out of a 2002 yeah. Corolla, as you say, it's amazing. It's got Bluetooth. It's you know, reasonably spacious, reasonably quiet. It's quite decent to drive. So, mm. at the exact same reason why the Mitsubishi ASX sells so well. Yes, yeah, it's, it, it yeah. is an an ancient Outlander from previous times. It is nothing. It's got no relevance to to the you know incredibly exploding world of the small SUV. People love it because it's spacious, it's affordable, it drives okay. Mm. It, it's like you know, it's like a you know, the fridge of cars. You open the light, you open the door, <laughs> the light comes on. That's all. That's all yeah. they want in a car. But exactly right. I think that, that the Lancer effect, though, that, that's a fantastic way to put it. I'm going to use that. Yeah, yeah, yeah repeatedly. Say, the other thing I would just mention, Dan, is I give the same advice. Go and just what, drive anything. Buy the car you like. But drive everything because you don't know what you might like. Mm. But then people go, oh, no, it's boring. So I just bought the second car I drove. Mm. Uh, come on, yeah. people. Yeah, come right. on. You if can do better. If it was anything better. else, it was anything, you, know, you wouldn't just say, oh, I looked at a house on the weekend. I just can't be bothered looking at anything else. Yeah. I don't live in that one. <laughs> this is a big decision you're making. Yeah. You the have... roof's falling down. It's only got one and a half bedrooms. But hey, it'll do. The yeah. car that I learned to love then. Yes. Initially started off, I was expecting to hate it and I did. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure you're getting the point of the segment, yeah, but, but right. do carry on. Uh, Nissan 370Z Nismo. Oh, Lord. Oh. Yeah. I, well, I'm not sure there's any coming back from what was initially a really great car, but my goodness, didn't they spoil that thing? They Well, did they? Apparently yes. not. Yes, yes did, they did. Why? Carry on. Allow me to take you on a journey through <laughs> my relationship with the Nissan 370Z Nismo. Initially, Nismo badge looks fantastic. Fell in love immediately. I thought, this is wonderful. Not only is it on paper and in, in images, it's fantastic. It also bolsters the cause of the returning Nismo brand to Australia. So this is great. This is all good, in my opinion. Then I drove it for the first time. And I'm going to quote Alex Inward, uh, editor of Wheels magazine, on this. He drove the Nismo 370Z and came back and said, I was thinking this is the stiffest sprung and most uncomfortable vehicle I've ever driven. And then I realized there was one which is slightly worse, and it's the GTR Nismo. (laughs) (laughs) That's what Nismo does. They make cars unbearable to live with on the road. (laughs) However, this is going back to what I was saying to you, Scotty, before. I went into it with all of the other great cars I've driven recently in mind, and it blinded me to the things that that car did really well as soon as it did just one or two things wrong. Those things are... The suspension, which will fracture every bone in your body <laughs> as soon as you hit even a mild imperfection in the surface. Its engine, which is really not very good anymore, can still make a, a good noise, and yet they've drowned it out with augmented sound in the cabin, which they didn't need to because they've got a really good exhaust on it now because it's a Nismo. Yep. It doesn't rev very hard, and when it does, it feels like it's complaining horribly. <laughs> um, the interior is dated and looks like a my first coupe. It's just <laughs> dreadful. However, 
after a few days of living with this car, and I didn't expect to, I just, by the way the cards fell, I got back into it time and time again, it started to feel like a car I'd modified myself. And that needn't be a very good thing. <laughs> but when you were 18, which is what we all did, cut the springs in half and not have any idea about riding and oh, handling. Right, bingo, bingo, 100%. <laughs> it was nostalgic. Yes. Okay, that's perhaps not that's a great... That's what I love when I spend, spend $70,000. Oh, well, <laughs> the amount of Mustangs they sell, that there is probably a, there's value in nostalgia. But, okay, agreed. I, I agree with both. It's, it's a nostalgia thing, and you shouldn't be spending that much money on a car that, that is that bad, effectively. It is a bad car. But if you love the car and you got into it, just like people complain about the Mercedes gear lever yes. on this column all journalists hate it but if it was your car you'd change gear or you know, put on change gear without doing the indicator once and you'd never do it again mm. i'd own the nismo 370z for a couple of weeks and i'd forget what every other car was like if it was mine and i'd love it dearly mm. Mm. until you drive a normal 370z and gone wow this is a much better car for but, like 10 but, is, that, but is that the point he's not driving he, he's only got that yeah. one car yeah like I, yeah I, I agree mate. i think it's a you know it is a flawed it, it's a flawed little monster um, but that nostalgia thing, that's a, really good, that's a really good way to put it. And you can learn to love it. <laughs> if you haven't caught our television show already, uh, you may have had an excuse because we haven't been on every week recently. But this week's one is on, indeed, uh, on Channel 10 on Sunday afternoon. And you can catch any of these if you're not the sort of person who likes to tune in at the correct time. Uh, 10 Play has all our previous episodes of Which Car on television. Um, and you can see us all doing our wonderful thing there. Um, but for now... I would like to round out our time together, gentlemen, talking about best cars to move house with. I'm sorry if this sounds a bit pedestrian, <laughs> but I thought that it probably has relevance. And it, I, look, I've moved house recently, That's and fine. it is indeed one of the most stressful things you can do, bar none. Um, and the car that you choose to do that with can make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. I had three, as it happens, <laughs> purely by chance. I had... And this is what I want to put the question to you. I had a Toyota Land Cruiser. I had a Volkswagen Amarok. And I had a, a very old Ford Falcon Ute. If you could just pick one of them, which would you use to move house with? Probably the Land Cruiser. Would spring to mind immediately. Hmm? Because, you know, Land mm -hmm. Cruisers are yeah. huge. Yeah, you can fit a lot of stuff in a Land Cruiser. Yep. Robert? Robert? Mm -hmm. I would take that Land Cruiser idea, though. I think, is it the one with the seats that fold out to the side and it takes up oh, room the in the, that kind it of is. weird... It was a oh, Sahara. Yes. Yes. Oh, really? It yes. was? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. 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 So that, that would, so it would sort of take me away and it possibly would lean me towards the AU. I, I love the Amarok, big fan, but dual cab uh, trays, as we know, too bloody short by a million yards. So I wonder if the AU would be the pick. Great product knowledge there, knowing that the, the seats in the back of the high-spec Land Cruiser yeah. can actually get in the yeah. way. They So good, great perspectives. Actually, what I found was this. The Land Cruiser is unquestionably one of the greatest towing cars on the road. So although it may appear to have lots of space in the back, the best thing you can do with that car is hook up a trailer, load your <laughs> entire life into it, and it was perfect. The Amarok was really good in terms of you know hauling capability, but yes, as you say, the trays now got smaller because one-ton utes are trying to do too many things. Mm. By far, the best car was the old car-based 
huge because yeah, yeah. it's at a very nice height to load. It's mm -hmm. dependable. The, the tray is relatively shallow. You need to strap a few things down in there and you get massive mounds and mounds of stuff in there. Yeah. So my point is, is that car manufacturers now, you go to them and say, how are we going to go on now? You don't make a U. And all the responses, we do make a U. Now they're called one ton dual cabs. And I'm like, absolute bollocks. They don't do the job <laughs> that the old car based one did. Now, I believe Scotty has a story about moving house, don't you? Well, I've moved house a couple of times in... Once was in a Ford Focus, which was quite good because ah. it limited the amount you could take. So it was like in bite-sized chunks, which actually helped, <laughs> I think. 48 uh, trips most, later. Most recently, I did it in a Ford Transit, which was fantastic because you could fit everything. There you it. go. Yes, thank you very much, Ford, for helping me with that. <laughs> uh, I also moved house or helped someone else move house in an Audi R8 V10 Plus. Wow, that would have <laughs> taken a while. Yeah. <laughs> no, because we had to do it in one trip. What? Oh, did, come on. Did they have a tent, like a pup tent? So, Nathan Ponchard, <laughs> who used to work for Wheels and now works for a different outlet, uh, he decided to move from Melbourne to Sydney and decided to do it in an Audi R8 V10 Plus. Oh, uh, and would I like to tag along in a support vehicle, which it must be said had most of the stuff in it, which is an Audi A4 all-road. That sounds marginally better. Which yes. weighed about three tonnes with all this stuff in it. And going, <laughs> and we drove it over the uh, over the Blue Mountains. And under the Blue Mountains, what's the other one? The Great Dividing Range. Yeah. yeah. Um, or whatever it is. Um, but because he had so much stuff, the Audi R8 was also rammed to the gills. So the carrot for me to come was to drive the R8. This is why I helped him. But then you've never driven an R8 with like a pot plant on the center console. <laughs> and one of those weird floaty seagull things kept bopping you in the head as he drove along. Because <laughs> it was absolutely full to the gills. Oh, yeah. uh, but it just goes to show that you can... Move house in a supercar. Well, you, you can't because you had an A4 as well. <laughs> yeah, but if you if you you can afford an R8, you can afford a removalist. <laughs> or a removalist. Yeah. I mean, at least one thing that you can say is that the Audi R8 would have been absolutely nowhere near its GVM. <laughs> no, because true. you simply can't weigh up with enough stuff that's inside true. to make anywhere anywhere close. That's Except true. floating seagulls. So there you go. Gentlemen, we have reached that point once again. Thank you so much Aww. for your contributions. Sad. Thank you very much. Pleasure having Robbo with us for the first time. We hope we get you back very soon. As soon as we need an expert's opinion on men shouting at clouds about stuff. <laughs> or there's nobody else available. It's not that way at all. <laughs> not at all. We've in the a meantime, long way down the list, but we got Robbo. <laughs> in the meantime, wow. make sure you catch up with all the latest on Witchcar TV on Channel 10 or on 10 Play. And, of course, you can get in touch via our social media and the website, witchcar.com.au. And until next time, do please take care on the roads. And if you can't, then tell us all about it. My name is Daniel Gardner, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye. See ya.